Well, I hope Jesus has been your healer. He's been that for me. Well, our pastor has been out for a few days from a surgical procedure, and he needs healing. Our pastor has served uh, for over 10 years faithfully in this pulpit, and uh, he needs healing. So would you pray with me for that today, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who cares enough to heal. You heal our wounds. You heal us from all kinds of problems, diseases, sickness, and procedures. And Father, we lift up Pastor Mike at this point. I, I pray he's watching today and he will see and sense the presence of, of not only you, but uh, the people he leads. Our concern and pray for a speedy recovery. And Father, I pray that you'll give him patience, that you'll give his wife, Pat, um, the ability to minister and to be patient as well. But Father, we pray that you'll bring him back to this pulpit within the next few days and that he'll arrive with a spring in his step, a uh, renewed energy and a readiness to preach the word of God and to lead this church. Lord, we're thankful for him we're thankful for their, every servant that you've provided in this church. And Lord, help us to always remember that your word encourages us to live a life that's worthy so that others may follow as our, uh, as, after our example. And Father, we, I pray that for me now as uh, I deliver your word. Uh, Father, use my voice. Uh, use the studying but most of all, use your words to impact souls for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' holy name that I pray these things. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to look at three passages of scripture uh, that I think will give us a glimpse of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that we are only able to imagine within our finite minds and the ability of the word of God to interpret it and understand it. The kingdom of God is something that all of us look forward to. Those of you that are followers of Jesus long to be in the kingdom of God. And we love God and we, we sing about his faithfulness. We sing about his healing. We, we sing of his mercy and, great and, and grace and all those things are true. But sometimes we don't take the full word of God and apply it to our lives. We like to take little passages that make us feel better and those that, that, that maybe make us think, oh, I have so much to learn. We wanna pass over those or we don't want to dwell on those. Well, today we're gonna to dwell on some of those. Uh, in first, the first passage is Matthew chapter 20 and it's James and John's mother asking for preferred seating in the kingdom of God. The second and third passages are in Matthew 25, and these are two parables where he cracks open the windows and reveals some expectations in the kingdom of God. God has expectations for you. He has expectations for me. And the expectations that he has for you may be different than me. But the one thing that is true is that he has expectations for all of us. And I pray that he will reveal to you his expectations specifically for you today. Now, I'm looking around here. There's uh, several people here that are my age or older, and they'll know who Charles de Gaulle is. Some of you who are younger, 
If you're listening and, and, and are willing to learn about world history in school, if you'll listen, students. By the way, is there any students in here? Are there any teenagers in here? If there's, if there's anybody 18 years of age or younger here in church today, just stand real quick. If you're 18 years of age or younger, stand up. Now there's a bunch in the balcony and some down. Give them a hand for being here today. Now let me tell you something, youngins. You don't have a clue. You don't know anything yet, but that's okay. It's gonna come. And you're going to learn some things, but you're in the best place that you can be. And I'm afraid that school is sometimes not the best place you can be because what they're teaching you today is contrary to the Word of God. And it's very important that you listen to the Word of God and be in church to hear what the author and finisher of your faith, your Creator, has in store for you. And I pray you listen every time that you come to church. But thank you for being here, students. We appreciate you. But these parables are gonna crack open the window of what he reveals. And Charles de Gaulle was the former prime minister and president of France. Before that, he was an army officer in France fighting the Nazis, defending his territory. And he, he, he chose to, to lead valiantly. And so he rose to power and helped even rewrite the constitution and begin democracy in France. But here's what he said. Karen, would you put the quote up there for me quickly? He said, history doesn't teach fatalism. Now, fatalism is the belief that everything's predetermined and everything's inevitable. But he said, history doesn't teach that. And I believe that. People get the history that they deserve. People get the history that they deserve. Well, Jesus taught in the principle about these very same principles that we're going to look at today. He taught us what it means to be ready for his return and how to live until he returns. So if you'd grab your Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read together. If you're able to, please stand in honor of God's word. Now, I had initially, when I put this together on Thursday and Friday, I wrote down a mother's request. But I'm gonna change that to a mother's ambition. A mother's ambition. Well, what is ambition? I looked it up and the official definition for ambition is the desire and determination to achieve success. All of us have a desire and a de determination to achieve success. Well, where do you think ambition comes from? Where do you think ambition comes from? In Genesis chapter one, it says that the Trinity, as they were talking, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. Guys, we serve an ambitious God. For crying out loud, look outside. The trees are blooming like crazy. The gnats and the flies and everything else with it, but God's an ambitious God. Stars rise and fall. The seasons change. The day, the, the earth moves around the sun, right? And makes this great absolute miracle year happen year after year after year and the four seasons in it and the 365 days. We serve an ambitious 
God. But as we're going to see in this story, whenever selfishness and ambition decide to come into the same room, it's a disaster. See, there's such a thing as selfish ambition and godly, holy ambition. This illustrates it very perfectly. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, the sons of thunder, Jesus' closest disciples that he was relationally closest to. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down. She's coming with the appearance of worship. Came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of the two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? We can, they answered. Typical men. We can. Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to set it my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. So when the ten, the other disciples, heard about this, they were indignant. They're ambitious as well. They were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, now boys, <laughs> calm down. Now boys. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words will jump into our hearts. That we'll understand that selfish ambition is a sin. And that godly ambition brings great results. Father, use this text for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the lessons that I learned from studying this the last few days is this. Jesus described the kingdom from a new perspective. Instead of using people, we're to serve them. Now, we're Americans. And we go to work. Hopefully, you need to go to work. It'd really be good if you do. But when you go to work, we have personnel policies. And there's a pecking order. And if, if you ever worked for a boss that used you for his own ambition, it happens all over the place. Jesus said this kingdom that we try to create here is wrong. And the kingdom of heaven is going to be turned upside down. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, 
you got to be a servant. You got to be a slave. You've got to think that other people have as much or more worth than you do. Instead of using people where to serve them, someone in God's kingdom has a servant's heart. Servant leaders appreciate others' worth and they realize that they're not above any job. They take the initiative and they do it as a faithful servant. Let me tell you about a living legend in First Baptist Church. This morning I was driving up the hill, got here at 8.30, and there was a woman walking from this parking lot over to the children's wing. She has stiff knees. And I'm not making fun of her because she was 90 years old last Wednesday. 90 years old. And she's walking like this. And she's got her purse and she can't hear. So I pulled up gently beside her and was gonna roll down the window to tell her happy birthday. And then I decided that wasn't enough. I got out of the car and I made, my, she's very good at reading lips. And Miss Doris Sager, I said to her, happy birthday, Doris, happy 90th birthday. This woman has served in the children's wing for I know well over 60 years. 60 years. She's 90 years old. She was here at 8.30 this morning walking in. How many of you have had children that Doris Sager took care of so that you could go to worship? All five of mine. Give her a hand this morning. She's been a faithful servant, a servant leader who appreciates others' worth and realizes that she's not above any job. She takes the initiative and does it as a faithful servant. Do you know the one area that we have a hard part filling? We have a hard time filling the greatest need at First Baptist Dixon, it's in the children's department. Because nobody wants to take care of kids. That'd be mean changing a diaper. That'd mean listening to kids cry in my ears. That'd mean someone that's helpless, that totally depends on me. And she's done it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. She's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. What are you doing? What am I doing? Well, Doris Sager has been given to us as an example to live by. The next passage of scripture I want to look at is two parables. Jesus taught over 30 parables in the Bible. And sometimes it's hard to teach theology from parables because there's, there's sometimes some not so concrete realities. But the picture and the story that he teaches is very indicative about what he thinks about God's kingdom, what it's gonna be like and how we're supposed to live until he returns and how to be ready for his return. So the first one we're going to look at is Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13. Now, I know I have a reputation in this church and I'm going to live up to it. I do things a little different. And so we're going to look at a particular version of scripture. It's a paraphrase. It's written by Eugene Peterson, who was a 20-year professor at a seminary and a pastor for over 40 years. He was a master at the languages and was able to translate them into everyday everyday language. And here's what it says at the beginning of the, of the Message Bible. It says the message is a contemporary rendering of the Bible from the original languages. 
crafted to present its tone, its rhythm, and its events and ideas in everyday language. And it's been very effective. I have a parallel Bible and uh, I've about wore it out. It has the NIV on one side and the message on another. And as I study the Bible and I come to the point where, what's Jesus trying to say here? I, I, well, I can just flip over to the side and see, and it, and it illuminates what the original intent and languages were. And so we're gonna look at the message as we look at these two parables this morning, okay? So in Matthew 25, one through 13, the first one is the parable of the 10 virgins. Now, there's been weddings here in the church and there's weddings at all these venues all over Dixon County. We don't understand a Jewish wedding because has anybody here ever been to a Jewish wedding? Okay, so we, we're, we don't really have a clue, but what he does tell us enough here through this wedding that it will instruct us how to live our lives. Follow along with me. God's kingdom is like, many of the parables starts out the same way. God's kingdom is like this. God's kingdom is like 10 young virgins who took oil lamps and went out to greet the bridegroom. See, we're already lost. You ever seen anybody running lamps and torches around at a wedding? No. But there we go. They took their oil lamps. They went out to greet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took, uh, virgins took lamps, but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. And the bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him. Now that's important. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him. Go back to the beginning. God's kingdom is like this. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him. There's your first hint. Jesus is gonna come when we least expect him. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him, they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, I don't know where you guys, you guys are in the middle of the night, but I'm asleep. I'm totally asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, he's here, the bridegroom's here, go out and greet him. The 10 virgins got up, they got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, our lamps are going out. Lend us some of your oil. They answered, there might not be enough to go around, go buy your own. The smart virgins said something very important here. Go buy your own. So I had a friend in high school named Dave. Dave had a parents and, a, and their parents had a great successful company. They restored tanker trucks, you know, those big tanker trucks pulled behind semi trucks. And ever so often after so many miles and so like the time they had to refurbish and had to be relined inside. And, and if there was a wreck or whatever, and the seams were broken, they was able to repair it. I mean, things are going in and out all the time. Dave had money to spend whenever he wanted to buy something, had a nice car. But whenever we went out, we always used my car, used my gas. Uh, he ate dinner on my dime. I, I never understood it. He was what, a silly guy. He had enough, but he was a charmer. And so he would try and get things from people away. When, when he needed wheels for his car, he borrowed some money from a guy. And to this day, I know he never repaid him. There's people like that in this earth that are gonna think they're gonna, they're gonna get their way by borrowing or being given something. Well, look at what they say here. They did, they went out to go buy their oil because they, they said to go buy your own. They did, but while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. 
When everyone was there to greet him, had gone into the wedding feast, the door was locked. The door was locked. Did y'all ever go see Star Wars, those of you that are in their 50s or higher? Did anybody go see Star Wars at the theater when it came out in 76, 77? Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember waiting in line to see the movie? Do y'all remember that? So I got off work and I had to go, I worked at a service station in high school. And so I had to go home and clean up. I had to get my hair ready. I had hair back then. And so I got ready and then I've decided, oh, well, I gotta wash my car before I go to the movies. And I got busy doing all kinds of little things, but I knew I was gonna make it there in time. So I got there what I thought was on time for the movie, but everyone who had prepared, everyone that was there knowing that there was gonna be many there, went in and were seated. And all of a sudden the doors were closed and ushers were standing outside the door arms folded like this. I didn't get to see the movie. Well, I understand. Every time I read this, I think about Star Wars. When everyone who was there went to greet him and had gone into the wedding feast, the door was locked. And much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door saying, Master, we're here. Let us in. He answered, do I know you? I don't think I know you. So stay alert. The NIV, the New, New American Standard Version, all of them say, keep watch because you have no idea when he might arrive. You have no idea when he might arrive. So the lessons learned from this. When Jesus returns to take his people to heaven, we have to be ready. Don't wash your car. Don't spend a lot of time doing things that are irrelevant that have nothing to do with eternal significance. Be ready. Number two, spiritual preparation can't be bought or borrowed at the last minute. God is giving you every single day to prepare for his coming or your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It can't be bought or borrowed at the last minute. You must prepare, be prepared. Come to Jesus, have a relationship, have an expectation of spending eternity with him and have an expectation that you're supposed to invite others to the wedding feast. Number three, our relationship with God must be our own. Listen, you can't come to this church and think you're gonna get into heaven because this is your grandfather's, your grandmother's church, your parents' church, your spouse's church. Your relationship with God must be your own. It's very important. It has to be your own. The second parable we're going to look at this morning is 14 through 30, the very next parable. Remember he said the kingdom of heaven is like, and he starts in verse 14. It's also like a man going on an extended trip. Here's your next clue. It's like a man going off on an extended trip. Jesus has been gone how long? Over 2,000 years. He's on an extended trip. He's gone to prepare a place for us. It says in John 14. It's like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, it says in, in the message that he gave $5,000 and another 2,001 $1,000, depending on their abilities. Now listen, 
If you're a boss, are you a leader in your organization? Have you ever supervised people? It's a true fact that some people have more abilities than others. That's just the way God is. And it takes people of, of one ability, two abilities, five abilities, and 10. It takes all of us to make it happen. But none's more important than the other. We all have been given different abilities. The master in this story goes off on an extended trip, calls his servants together, delegates responsibilities. Now, in your King James or New King James or NIV or New American Standard, it says he gave them five talents, two talents, and one talent, right? How much is a talent? Huh? It's 20 years salary. If you're working now, now the, the story is still as relevant today as it was back then. It's all relative. So if a talent is equal to a 20 year salary of a worker, I got on census.gov on my phone and found out what the average or the median income for a household in Dixon County is. You know what it is? It's $57,804. So if you take that, get your smartphones out. I want you to understand how large talent is. If you take $57,804, take that times 20 years, times five for five talents, the master in today's world, or it's the same back then, would have given this person a responsibility of $5.8 million. If he gave another servant two, that person's responsible for $2.3 million. And the one talent person was worth $1.6 million. It's very important that you understand the length and breadth and the dollar amount of this talent that the master gave here. He gave him one five, another two, and another one one. Right off, the first servant went to work. Right off, first servant went to work. What did he do? He left and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, hint again, after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with him. The one given five talents showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with the two talents showed that he had also doubled his master's investment. Master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant, given the one talent, he comes up next. Now, in the real world, if this one talent person had gone first to a rational individual, a person, good old red-blooded American, Dixon County person, his explanation is, he's very articulate and it sounds really good. Look at what he says. Master, boss, I know that you have high standards. You hate careless ways and you demand the best and you make no allowances for error. Doesn't that sound like a good boss? 
Doesn't that sound like a good guy? But the most truthful statement he makes here is the next thing. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid that I'd disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place, secured your money, and here it is, safe and sound, even down to the last cent. If he'd have went first, boy, wouldn't that have sounded good? Man, look, he was really responsible for that money. He didn't lose nothing. Well, look what happened. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done is invested the sum with the bankers where I'd have gained a little bit of interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb and throw him into outer darkness. In the other translations of the Bible, it says, whoever doesn't have even what he has will be taken from him. Our God is an ambitious God. We are his creation and we are to be ambitious. We are not to live cautiously. We are not to live in fear. We are to live as ambitious people, knowing that God has expectations for us. Well, here's what I'm afraid of. And I'm preaching to myself here too, okay? I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on the American church. 80% of the American church are one talent people. And here's why I say that. Talents aren't just, the, the parable of the talents aren't just about money. It's about the abundance of responsibility and blessings that God has given us. And here's what American churches do. I got on pewresearch.com and I also got on Lifeway Research. And here's what it says. Churchgoers believe in sharing their faith, but most never do. I have to ask ourselves this question. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? Since January 1, how many people have you shared the love of Christ with? How many people have you led through the sinner's prayer to invite them into the kingdom of God? Here's what we do. I know where to find you in an emergency in this church because every one of you sit in the same place every week. You do, roughly the same area. And God gives us great abundances and blessings. And we dig a hole in our chair and we plant it right here. And we leave this place and we are chickens. Follow me now, we're chickens. We go out and walk around like banny roosters all during the week. And we live like the rest of the world. We operate our, our personnel policy. We, we live just like our personnel policy say. We let, the, we let the top dogs rule and we use other people to, to benefit us. And then we come back here on Sunday and we sit like hens in those chairs, waiting for our blessings to unfold and become more. Don't be a one-talent person. 
Don't waste living a careful, scripted, controlled life. Be an ambitious person the way Jesus wants us to be. Well, the lessons learned from this is, is very quickly here. Everyone gets an uneven amount of opportunity. Listen, some of you in here are gonna inherit money. Others of you aren't. Some of you in here make a fairly large six-figure salary. Some of you don't. Some of you live in a big house. Some of you don't. Some of you have a great job and you're a great, you're high up on the pecking order. And some of you are just the servants and you're trying to live out this dream for this person's selfish ambition. But the fact of the matter is everyone has been given an opportunity, whether you're a one talent, two talent, or five talent person. And what you do with it makes all the difference in the world. Number two, everyone is gonna be held accountable for what they do with their opportunity. You're gonna be held accountable for it. Remember, the master came back and settled accounts. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? No, no. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? He's gonna settle accounts. Everyone's gonna be held accountable for what they did with their opportunity. And number three, everyone's responsible for leveraging their opportunity to the maximum. You can say, Todd, oh no, you're just taking one story out of the Bible and blowing it up, making it really big. Well, turn to John chapter 15. Turn to John chapter 15. He says, I'm the true vine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes it. So that it will, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And I love verse eight. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You wanna be proud of yourself. You wanna feel like you've accomplished something. You want your ambitions to be fulfilled. Show yourselves to be my disciples by bearing much fruit. Go to Proverbs. Why is this man in the world? Proverbs 6.6. 6. It's really pretty simple. How many of you love ants? How many of you like ants in your house? Why are ants in your house? It's not because there's sugar on the counter. Okay, that, that's, that's a partial truth. But look at what Solomon, the wisest man other than Jesus to ever walk the earth, he says, learn a lesson from the ant. You lazy fool, look at the ant, watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. 
All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you gonna laze around and do nothing? How long are you gonna not get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this, you can look forward to being a dirt poor life. Poverty, your permanent house guest. The reason that ants in your house is because it's industrious, it's ambitious, and it knows when to prepare for that winter time. That time that's, that's totally hard. Listen, you have four relationships in your life. You have four talents, areas that you need to work on. You have relationships. Every relationship you have is a soul, a living soul. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your work hearts, your associates. You may not know them real well, but you associate with them. They're souls. You have a major responsibility with telling them about Jesus. You have finances. Some are great, some are small, unequal opportunities. But are you giving your first fruits to the church so that God can multiply it and use it for the kingdom of God? You have work. And here we are in America, a 40 plus hour work week. You're around those people more than you are your own family from Monday to Friday, sometimes Monday to Saturday, depending on your work schedule. I don't care what the personnel policies say. If you're a servant leader and you love people unconditionally and you tell them about the love of Jesus and that they have self-worth, self it changes people. They're attracted to you and you have influence. Don't treat them as a subordinate. Treat them as an equal and see how God blesses you and them. And last, your walk with God. And I believe that's the most important thing. How's your walk with God? Are you an infant? If I, was to, if, if I was to take your walk with God and classify it in the stages of life, are you an infant? Are you a babe in your walk with God? Babies can't do anything. They can't even feed themselves. They are totally dependent on other people to feed them. Hopefully you've grown from an infant to a toddler. Toddlers are just learning to feed themselves, but they're still dependent on everybody else. Have you become a child? A child. I recognize you children here for a reason because you're learners. You have so much to learn. You don't have a clue. But if you'll study this word of God, if you will listen to the sermons preached, if you will listen to your parents, you will become a child of God that will do great things. Are you a teenager? Do you just have a few responsibilities, but you're dangerous and you can't be trusted yet because you're not mature? I was given a driver's license at the age of 14. Scariest thing the world's ever done. So mom and dad went off to Tulsa, Oklahoma from Wichita for a weekend. I was gonna have four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now Todd, you can only drive this car to work and to school. You got a restricted driver's license. Teenagers listen to me. So I got real smart. I added up how long it was from house to work, to school, back to work, back to school, home, all those things, put all those things out. I, I can drive 67 miles. All right, so I just went out and drove 67 miles everywhere. And I was pretty mechanically inclined. By then I'd already put an engine and transmission in the car. I knew what I was doing. I was smart. 
So I popped it up on top of, you know, those bumpers that you pull up to a parking space. I pulled it up on there and I yanked the speedometer cable out. I was smart. I put a plastic bag over it and a tie wrap. Had this plastic cap, shoved it in there into the transmission. I was good. Now I knew by my tachometer how fast I was going, so I was fairly safe. I drove all over the place. I went to Wichita, dragged Douglas. That was the main Broadway through Wichita where all the teenagers hung out. I drove everywhere. The most dangerous thing I ever did. One, I wasn't experienced had no business driving a car at 14 years of age, 50 miles from home at midnight, driving around. There wasn't any GPS on phones to track, track where you were. I thought I was getting by with murder. I was a teenager who had some responsibilities, but I couldn't be trusted yet. Is that where you're at? I hope not. I hope you've become an adult in your walk with God. I pray that you are serving God and others and you're leading others. Some of you in here, like me, are older, mature adults now. We look it. We're there. I hate to see it. Look in the mirror, guys. It's pitiful. But here's the nice thing about it. We've become mentors. If we've followed Jesus, if we've been ambitious, if we've had a holy ambition, we have become a mentor who teaches others by example and experience. You're a Doris Sager. So I don't know where we're going today with this invitation. I hope that this has been a glimpse of the kingdom of God that will inspire you to grow, that will inspire you to be ambitious, and that will allow you to get up every day with the spring in your step that I prayed for Mr. Mr. Pastor Mike for. Guys, your lives may be ending or it may just be beginning, but anywhere in between that birth and that death date is a time to be ambitious. We need revival in this church. There are so many people moving into this community because they like Tennessee. Listen, I've been to California. I've been to South Asia. I've been to Cuba. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Canada. I've been a lot of places. I've even been to Hickman County. There's no better place than this. And the people are coming in. We need people in that welcome center greeting people, escorting them to the youth wing if they've got teenagers, escorting them to the children's wing if they've got children, escorting them into worship, escorting them to a Sunday school class. We need people out in the parking lot parking our guests. We need people in the children's wing. We need people in the student wing. We need people teaching discipleship classes, people that don't know anything about Jesus and need to learn the seven realities of Jesus. They need to learn so much. I don't know whether you're a five-talent person, a two-talent person, or a one-talent person, but for goodness sakes, do something. Don't be, I'm preaching to me too. I'm preaching to me too. Jesus is coming back. And he's gonna be furious with the one talent people that dug a hole and did nothing and played it safe and didn't risk and get out of their comfort zone to serve a mighty God. So, okay, I'm done preaching. I'm done. Today, it's a time of invitation. I pray that the talents and Matthew chapter 20 inspired you to understand that the kingdom of God is serious business. And don't let culture teach you that it's not. 
Don't let what they teach you in school that it's not. Look, we know a lot about what we love. Mark Brandon knows a lot about golf. You know a lot about cars. You know a lot about motorcycles. You know what, you know what looks good on, on your husband. You know how to dress. See, so what, what, what we love, we know a lot about. I said I was done preaching. Guys, it's time to get busy. COVID's over. We've lost 30% of our church. They're sitting at home. They're wandering. Give them a call. Tell them they're important. Tell them they're missed. Get on mission, myself included.